Where's Elsie? Happy birthday, Elsie. So as I've been working through um, Paul's prayers in the gospel, or in the uh, New Testament, um, with this idea of encountering Jesus to get together in the prayers of Paul, a um, few things uh, I've begun to learn. Um, I feel like the Lord is shining a few lights for me on my life. Um, and one thing that I've learned is the truth that very few things give us as accurate a picture of our relationship with the Father as our prayers do. When we pray, how we pray, what we pray. Our prayers reveal what we think of the Father, and they reveal what we think of ourselves in relation to the Father. Our prayers show what we are concerned with, and reading Paul's prayers are teaching me what I should be concerned with. So I'd ask you for a moment to just reflect for one brief second. What do you pray for? When you pray... What do you pray for? And I will suggest that your prayers, if they're anything like mine, are probably far too small. Um, So we are invited this morning into Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3. A prayer that is, without any exaggeration at all, one of the true mountain peaks of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Will you please stand as we read God's word together? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, thank you uh, for your scriptures. Um, Lord, the truths contained in this passage Um, are greater than any words that I could speak. So please, Father, speak through me. And the concepts here are greater than our ears or our hearts could understand. So please, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us hear and understand. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So again, we want to remember the context of where we're sitting. Paul's writing to the Ephesians, church that he spent good time with, that he trained, that he loved, that he hasn't seen for a while. And he's now in prison. And this is what he writes to them. He's been talking about how they, uh, as the church, are, are a temple of the living God. How the indwelling of Christ in their lives makes them the place where the presence of God dwells. And how they are a very real temple Of the living God. And so he says, in lieu of this, given this reality of what you are, here's how Paul prays. 
He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, first, I kneel before the Father. Two quick observations, a quick how and a quick what about Paul's prayer here. Um, He's in prison. His freedom is taken. He's in chains. And here's how he prays. He prays on his knees. Jesus prayed on his knees. And for both, the physical was an outworking of the heart, these hearts that were open to the Father and in complete submission and obedience to the Father. I think sometimes in an attempt to remove what we might consider legalism or obstacles to prayer, uh, we sometimes think that it doesn't matter how we pray, right? Um, I've taught my children, you can pray anywhere. You can pray in bed. You can pray um, while you're walking. And those things are good and true and right. But sometimes we forget the solemnity and the beauty of coming on our knees before the Father. Because sometimes our hearts need to follow our knees down in submission. So I just want to encourage you, if you haven't been on your knees in prayer for a while, try it. Come before the Father humbly in submission and let your heart reflect what your body is doing. That's the how. But the what is a spiritual prayer. It's not for a change of circumstance. It's not for an easing of pain or trial. He doesn't pray that he's somehow going to be released from prison or that they are not going to be persecuted. He doesn't pray about circumstances. He doesn't pray about what's happening. Instead, his prayer is for the spiritual condition of the Ephesians. He's praying about their spiritual state. And this is one of the great truths and the great ways of the Christian life. In a world of struggle and of pain and confusion, where there are powers and authorities that seek to unravel and undo and destroy us, the most important thing in the universe is not that our circumstances get better or are good but that God, by his Holy Spirit, equips us to encounter anything that life can bring. Amen? It's not that our circumstances are okay. It's that God, by his Holy Spirit, is at work in us so that no matter what our circumstances are, we can stand before them. And here's what he prays. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that the Father would strengthen you by his spirit in your inner being. Now, this is not language that we use a lot, right? Our inner being and our outer being, our inner man and our outer man. But the outer man, the outer being, our bodies, our flesh, are on a trajectory, right? It's a trajectory towards decay, a trajectory towards death. But our inner man, the inner being, the new creation that's inwardly begotten by the spirit in those who are united to Christ. Its trajectory is life. It's moving forward into sanctification. The body's dying and decaying and diminishing, but the spirit, the inner man is being made more glorious as we are sanctified to look more like Jesus. Now you might say, I don't feel that. I don't know that that is true in me. But that's what is happening. Paul prays for the Philippians in joy because of the fact that he who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul prays 
He prays that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen them with inner power through his spirit in their inner being. And it's fair to wonder, why would we need strength in our inner being? Are we not new creations in Christ? The old is gone, the new has come, right? We are new creations. Why would we need strength in our inner beings? He says we need strength so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Why strength? We need strength because the experience of salvation is only the beginning of the Christian life. Here, the, the, the experience of salvation is only the beginning of the Christian life. We, we may talk about being mature Christians or immature Christians, but I think sometimes we forget the fact that at conversion, Scripture talks about us as infants. We are babes in Christ, and God desires us to grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ. But unlike human infancy, spiritual infancy is not outgrown with time alone. You know, a a baby in a year is not the same little baby. In 10 years, you're not a baby anymore. But a spiritual infant can remain their entire life. I know that there are those of us here in this room that are spiritual infants by time. I know, some, I know someone who became a believer this last semester, right? So it makes sense that there's spiritual infancy there, but then there are also those of us in this room who are spiritual infants that have been Christians our whole lives because we've not grown and not matured, not sought the Lord with all our, all of our hearts and minds and souls and strengths. We need strength so that we don't remain spiritual infants. Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, says, Brothers and sisters, I can't, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Like newborn babes crave spiritual milk, so that, it is, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Spiritual infants need spiritual milk. Solid food is for the mature in faith. There is this truth that we have to be strengthened in our inner being so that we don't remain infants. That's why we need strength. Another reason we need strength is because the devil is very real. Scripture is clear that we wrestle not against flesh, not against blood, but against the principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness in this world that seek to distract and destroy and that target our inner being. They target the inner man. And the babe in Christ cannot stand against the devil. So Paul prays that the Spirit will strengthen them, strengthen us in our inner beings. And it may almost seem, it may almost seem like Paul is praying that we'll be made strong on our own. Lord, just just make them strong by your Spirit. But the prayer is that we'll be strengthened in our inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Strengthen us in our faith that Jesus may dwell in our hearts. Give us a strong faith. And dwell here is is a strong word. It means to make our hearts his home. That he might literally take up residence in our hearts. Spurgeon put it like this. He said, it must be one of the great, it must be the one 
great business of your life, to know him and the power of his resurrection. But then when he's talking about this heart full of the indwelling Christ, he says, the heart must be full of Jesus, welling up with his love, flaming with it, overrunning with it, that Christ may take up his abode in your hearts, that the Lord Jesus may become the Lord and tenant of your inmost being, that he might dwell there, not in your thoughts alone, but in your affections. Not merely have him in your minds, but have him in your loves. And what it's talking about, really, this is all about seeking to know Jesus Christ, about knowing the Lord himself. The idea of Christ dwelling in our hearts is the idea that he becomes our prime affection. The prime desire of our minds and our hearts is to know him above all other things. Not his blessings, him. And to grow in our spiritual life is to grow in knowing Jesus and in the desire to know him. I know there are many of us spiritual infants in this room, but be encouraged by this. The spirit can strengthen us in our inner being. And Paul continues, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now he prays that the spirit will give power in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And now I want to ask you, stay with me here. It's going to seem like we're getting very idealistic, maybe a little bit esoteric, but hold tight because it gets incredibly practical in just a moment. If Christ is dwelling in our hearts, making his home and being welcomed there as the center of our affection, as the prime desire of our minds, we will be taken by his love for us and we will be rooted and and grounded in it. And the result is that our lives will be rooted and grounded in love. Love for creation, love for our brothers and sisters, love for the lost, but primarily love for God himself. And that love will ground us in this world. Paul uses this picture of being rooted like a tree and and a building set on a foundation. When you think of of your life as as a Christian, you want to have those roots like a big oak tree that can't be blown over by a storm. Roots set down deep into the soil that is the love of Christ. He says you're rooted in that love. When Christ dwells in your heart and he is what your heart and your mind think of and desire, what ends up happening is you begin to understand his love for us. And that love will root you in a way that nothing else can. It's the foundation, it's the cornerstone upon which you build your life. A building that can't be knocked down and a tree that can't be blown over. But he says, I pray that you'll be rooted and established in love and that you might have power anchored in Christ that you might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, here's where we're at. Maybe a little bit idealistic there sounding, but Paul prays that being rooted in love will have power to grasp the magnitude and the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge and hear this little piece that could get skipped over so easily. He may have, we may have power together with all the Lord's people. 
This is not a possibility for all Christians. It is the duty of all Christians. It is what it means to be a Christian. To have the name of Christ is to be one who has power through being rooted in his love that we might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now we are strengthened with power by the spirit in our inner being that Christ might dwell in our hearts, which are rooted and built up in love, that we might have power with all of God's set apart people, every one of us, every Christian to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now here, to grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. There's no, there's no way I can describe that. I can't, give, I can't put words to make that come alive in your heart. But what I can say is this. Paul is talking about comprehending, laying a hold with our minds, grasping the magnitude of the love of Jesus Christ. And when you look at this, how wide and long and high and deep the love of Jesus is, how, how high and deep, how long and how wide, it's kind of, you get this like a 3D cross, if you will, right? And I was thinking about that, how many, for your whole life, you could dwell on the love of God in Christ Jesus on the cross for us. The perfect son of God dying in our place because he loves us. You can't exhaust that. Yet Paul prays that by the power of the spirit being rooted in love as we understand his love, that we might be able to grasp, that we might be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And there he's talking about to know it intimately, experience it. Not just have it up here, but have it here. And then he does this super cool thing. He says, you need to be able to comprehend it. And you also need to know it. But when you know it, you'll recognize that it is a love that surpasses knowledge. So you can't know it. So it becomes this lifelong endeavor where we grasp it, we understand it, we know it, but then we recognize that we can never fully know it. So it becomes grander and greater and larger and wider and deeper and taller than we could ever imagine. And why do we need power to comprehend it? Why do we need power to know it? Because it is too much to bear. It is a weight so great that we, we must be given power to comprehend it. The love of Jesus Christ is strong. It is stronger than death. There is nothing stronger than the love of Christ. It is the grandest and most powerful thing in the whole world. And the only way to know it, to comprehend it, is to be rooted and grounded in it so that we can recognize it. So that we can recognize the lifelong gift that God is offering us. And then we come to the, the, the greatest piece the top of the mountain, if you will. Um, that, says Paul, there's a purpose to all of this. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
knowing the depth of the love of Christ, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God, the highest of experience, the highest of doctrine. Like Paul in chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened by the Holy Spirit, that we might hear what the apostle prays for us right now. It is clearly impossible for a human being to contain the fullness of God. Amen? There are incommunicable attributes. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience. And when I was writing this, I was, couldn't remember uh, omniscience, and I thought omnivorous. And then I was thinking, well, is God omnivorous? Like, could, like, I think I should write something on that. But, um, but he has communicable attributes, right? His holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his loving kindness, and his faithfulness. All of those things, all of those communicable attributes of the Father become ours when we are united to Jesus Christ. How? How are we filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? We're filled to all the measure of the fullness in God by the indwelling of Christ in our hearts and the knowledge of his love. Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Christ in whom Colossians, Paul says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and in him you have been made complete. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word and he is the Savior that dwells in our hearts. He's the one that we root our love in. And so it's true that if Jesus dwells in our hearts, we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul's prayer becomes a prayer that we would experience and become that which we are created to be. What is it that we're created to be? In Ephesians chapter 4, in the next chapter, Paul says that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then later in chapter 4, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. It resides in us because the fullness of the vine is also in the branches. So, a fair question. If we have the fullness, measure of the fullness of God in us by virtue of the indwelling Christ, then what about this this infancy to maturity? Do we somehow get more God in us? How does that work? And that is the process of sanctification. It's the process of growing in our faith and our knowledge and our love and our obedience. And there's a, an illustration. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones um, was talking about this illustration, and I want to show you because I think it's kind of beautiful. He said, if you take a balloon and you pretend that this is a Christian, and that is a brand new Christian. It's filled completely, 100%. We're pretending my breath is the indwelling Spirit of the living God. Yeah, yeah a little. <laughs> right? 
So it's full. The fullness of the measure of God is here. You get the picture, right? It's still the same fullness of the measure of God, but look what's happened. The capacity to grow and to become mature and to grow into the full measure of God. (laughs) That was kind of dignified, huh? Uh, Listen, by virtue of our union with Jesus, we're filled with all the fullness of God. But Paul prays that we will be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And so we should be praying. Our prayers should look like this. Our prayers should be that God would give us power in our inner beings by his Holy Spirit. We should be praying that Jesus Christ would dwell in our hearts, that he would become the primary affection of our hearts, the primary desire of our minds. And that as that happens, that we would fall more in love with him because we see his love for us. And as we see his love for us, that our roots would grow deep and strong. Our foundation would be laid upon that love. We pray like that because we don't want to be infants in Christ. We pray because we need power from the Spirit of God. We need power that we might comprehend and understand the depth and the height and the width and the length of the love of Jesus Christ. That we might grasp it with our minds, that we might know it with our hearts, and we might realize that we can never fully know it, that it is the greatest privilege we have in our lives. If you are stuck if you're bored with your faith, if you're just tired of being an infant and not taking it seriously, pray the prayers that Paul prays. Come to the Father on your knees and ask for power to believe, power to have faith, power to grasp the magnitude of the love of Jesus, power to understand that you'll never fully get it. You want to be a tree that can stand can never be blown over. Now, you may be slightly discouraged because it seems too big, but Paul ends with this. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The Father can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Anything you think you could ask for that's too big, anything you can imagine asking for that's too big, the Father can do immeasurably more. So according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is humbling to be before you. It is humbling to speak your words. I pray that by your spirit, you will minister to all of us. Lord, give us power by your spirit in our inner beings. Help us to fall in love with Jesus more and more. And help us, Lord, to attain attain maturity in our faith. 
might stand as deeply rooted trees. Father, we give you praise and thanks, and we lay our lives before you. In Jesus' name, and through the power of your spirit, amen.